0: This can be played at high volume. Live and local. Let's go a little light, man, This is Acadiana's number one sports station. 103.7 The Game. It's Saturday, and you know what that means. We're, we're, we're finally time for the world-famous CD to step to the mic for two straight hours of no-holds-barred sports talk. It's better than Desperate Housewives. Oh, yeah. Better get ready. Yeah! yeah! Because Under the Dome with C D starts right now on 1037, the game.
1: And welcome everyone to Under the Dome with C D. And go ahead and steal a footism here on the show on this absolutely positively glorious Saturday morning as well, the Houston Astros are headed back to the World Series. And, damn, it feels good to say that once again. And, of course, we're coming to you live from the beautiful palatial First South Farm Credit Studios.
0: Baby, we're looking good. <laughs> Woo!
1: Oh, you already know, it's a pretty darn good mood whenever I'm here. And I'm telling you about the Astros winning. But we got a lot of things to get to over the course of the next two and a half hours and we got a lot to cover there's good news and bad news the bad news is we're not gonna get to it all right here right now
0: but the good news is is i got the time
1: and you're damn right we got the time two and a half hours leading up to lsu Ole miss pregame show right here on 103.7 the game would have liked to have seen game seven just for the sake of having nothing but wall to wall live and local content. We'd have obviously first cup, we just wrap that thing up. And now we get to this show, Under the Dome with CD. And of course, we appreciate you listening in, however you're doing so, be it through the 103 the Game Mobile app, your favorite smart speaker, Amazon Alexa, Google Home, my laptop. I just got a new laptop recently. And it actually has an Amazon Alexa smart speaker. So I can tell it to play 103.7 the game whenever I want. So I can listen to all the fine programming we have that way. But also, of course, maybe you are listening through the FM dial that is the tower power of 103.7 FM. The
0: tower of power, too sweet to be sour. I'm funky like a monkey. Sky's the limit and space is the
1: place. Oh, yeah. And it's definitely a as I mentioned earlier, I'm stealing a footism here, but I think it's apropos to say it. It is a glorious Saturday morning with the Houston Astros being your ALCS American League champions and looking to make it four more wins to another World Series. It feels like the damn San Francisco Giants from the early 2010s because they made it every other year. Let's see if we can make it meatloaf two out of three. Ain't have bad of a dynasty to say the very least. But there's one pressing issue that's probably a lot more important, a lot more relevant, a lot more interesting to you out there that you're thinking about, that you're wondering about. What You're wondering what my take is on this. You've been waiting two weeks because I've had this idea for ever since the Kentucky game, a lot like LSU, I've been brewing on this for a good while. You know one guy in particular. But I've got three, four coaches that LSU absolutely has to talk to and try and get them to be the next head coach of the LSU Tigers. You can consider this the one time you will hear me talk about this. If you want to hear me just kind of reset it down the road, fine. But I'm not going to have week after week after week – of exposition about who the next head coach is going to be. I'm not going to be like the professor and probably put up the next six weeks of who's the next head coach at LSU. Who's the next head coach at LSU? No. We're going to do this one time and one time only. If you disagree, 337 706 0111. Because I've got a list. And I've also got a couple coaches that say avoid, socially distance yourself from. I'm just going to go ahead and throw a couple names out there. But it's time. It's finally time for your. Saturday sports sermon.
0: The famous CD is on his soapbox to start your Saturday. Oh testify! It's time for your Saturday sports sermon.
1: Last Sunday may have not seen the New Orleans Saints play some football. But there was a massive news story, of course, dropped by Ross Dellinger of Sports Illustrated. You know, you know the story. You know what's going on with this. But Ed Ogeron, in case you've been living under a rock, he's out at the end of the season. He's no longer going to be the head coach at LSU after the 2021 season. Interesting they let him play it out and go ahead. And once the season's done, he's going to go ahead and sign off one final time and say go Tigers for the last time as a head coach. So now he's moving on after tumultuous last couple of seasons. That was marred by some off-the-field stuff. Not really going to get into that. Some underperforming, 5-5 last year. And I mentioned at the beginning of the year, and people probably poo-pooed this, if I'm not mistaken. 8-4 I had to begin the season was the floor for LSU. That floor has dropped out. I think, honestly, you've got... You've got a good big win over Florida to avoid dropping to three and four. But I'm not sure it's going to be as easy of a road the rest of the way. You've got Ole Miss today. That's not necessarily a guaranteed win. You've got Alabama. You've got Arkansas. Arkansas, they've they dropped off a little bit, but they've looked better than they have in the past few years. So the Razorbacks, you, you can't overlook them. Texas A&M. They are a much better team, and they've been able to actually win ballgames against you. This isn't the certified checkmark win. So 8-4, that, that bottom dropped out long ago anyways. So he's going to be getting paid big bucks. You don't have to worry about him you know, dealing with the daily stresses of coaching and recruiting. And he'll be largely an ambassador for LSU, which is a great thing for him. Now the million dollar question is who will be the next head coach of the Tigers? There's a lot of names and coaches out there right for the picking. This is a lot better of an opportunity than I'd say probably during that 2016 coaching search. Hell, even the 2015, the attempt to go get a Jimbo Fisher to come over from Florida State to LSU. Now he's at A&M and I feel like there's... I'm just going to put it out on Front Street. You're not getting Jimbo Fisher. You're not getting Dabo Swinney don't even believe that's going to be a thing that happens those two guys are perfectly fine where they're at because they're making plenty of bank number one number two in the case of Dabo ain't going anywhere Dabo Swinney is absolutely loving life because he's in a weak conference in the ACC so I've got four coaches that I think you need to talk to and make them say no back of the Branks truck and make them say, hey, you know, make that decision to stay at their current job tough. No particular order. And again, this is solely my opinion. I'm sure a lot of you might agree with these. The first one, let's go out right out the gate and call it. Call it Homer Radio. Call it Homer Radio. Bottom line is Billy Napier is the first person you need to talk to. Make that trip across the basin or get him to come over or have him on Zoom call, however you're going to do it but have that conversation. It's, and you know, Cajun's van's Zirma. I think either way, by the end of the season, he could very well be gone. If he manages to parlay this season into something special, there's no way he doesn't pass up an opportunity to be a head coach somewhere at a strong Power 5 conference. At least that's just my opinion. But Billy Napier is at the top of the list. Why exactly? The biggest pro is... He's learned under the learning tree of Nick Saban and Davos Swinney. Two guys that have won multiple national championships over the last couple of years. Two straight 10-1 seasons. It looks like you're brewing for another 10-1 season. That is if you play your cards right and you play up to your competition, not play down to your competition. He's recruited extremely well, especially in the state of Louisiana. The big knock on him is obviously it's a group of five and it's the in-state thing, blah, 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 blah. I'll throw this out there. You see what he does with group of five level talent? You see what he does on the recruiting trail coaching a group of five program? Imagine what he could do for you as the head coach of the flagship that is LSU in the state of Louisiana, that would be a massive coup. We talk about building the fence. I think that fence could very well be built with a guy like Billy Napier leading the way. I don't think it's going to happen. Uh, in terms of likelihood, I'd probably say maybe a 25% chance of it happening at best. I think the big thing is, does the LSU fan base want him And number two, are they? Will they be, like, not proud, if you will? And not, not try and be too proud and say, hey, we don't want a guy from a group of five programs, especially the one down the road. I think they need to swallow their pride. If they want to get a guy, like, get a really good talent that's young, it's him. He's only coached Cajuns for four years, which is really the only knock I have on him. He's only been a head coach for four seasons. Meanwhile, another one. I think this one's probably, if I were to put it at the top of my, if I were to rank it one through four, He's number one. It's James Franklin. James Franklin is a guy I'd 100% talk to, and a lot of it is based off his track record. He's only had one losing season in his career as a head coach. And that was back in 2020. He has consistently put the Nittany Lions in the top 25 rankings a lot. And the Big Ten, to a certain extent, in terms of the toughest Power 5 conference, they have been number two. You have the Ohio State, you have Michigan, Michigan State, you got a lot of programs that are better in that conference. Iowa, heading into last week, it was number two in the nation. If only they hadn't lost to Purdue. If you hadn't talked to your kids about undefeated Iowa, it's way too late. So for me, I think he's a guy that I would have put at, towards the tippy top of that list. And I have the fact that he's coached in the SEC before. He coached Vanderbilt. Vanderbilt. And before you say, oh, hey, Coach Vanderbilt. And obviously he had that investigation over at Vandy. And it didn't necessarily look all that great for him. But you look at what he did at Vandy. His head coaching record was outside of 6-7 in 2011. He went 9-4 and four, two straight years, 2012-2013, before jumping over to Penn State. That's pretty damn good. And then he's been able to make this program at Penn State a lot more of a consistent winner. Hell, won the Big Ten Championship in 2016. That makes me think he's probably the most qualified coach out there that you could probably get if you're going strictly on the college football ranks. Again, I mentioned the fact that what happened at the Vanderbilt and some allegations that happened last year while he was at Penn State, it hurts his image a little bit, but I feel like the fact he's navigated murkier waters, taking over a program in the post-paterno era and managing to make that and righting this ship, that's a huge step in the right direction. I think that's a guy I would 100% take. Jamie Chadwell is probably the guy I'd put third on my list. He's turned Coastal Carolina from an afterthought to a top-tier group of five program. Virtually overnight, after you had a former entrepreneur in Joe Moglia, and he had to step down. Jamie Chadwell took over after being kind of an interim head coach once and then became it again after Moglia stepped down. He managed to turn this thing overnight, bringing a rigid culture to the to that program and turning a team that had only been playing FBS football for five years into a top 25 team. Now, will they be top 25 by the end of this week or by tomorrow? I don't necessarily think so. You lose to App State. And an App State team that, relatively speaking, in terms of the hierarchy, it's a down year for them because they lost to the Cajuns. I think that alone is a down year based off of their expectations over in beautiful Boone, North Carolina. But a lot like Billy Napier, and almost like less so, he has very little head coaching experience. He was largely he was a head coach one year, and then he passed the reins down, then he was coached for a couple years now. And he's getting a lot of love because he's a hot name. He's a he's a flashy name. He's a splash hire name we hear all the time. Little head coaching experience is the biggest con I have for him. The final one I'll throw out there is Mel Tucker. He's done a great job at Michigan State so far. Currently seven and zero. They have a bye week this week, so Mel Tucker's definitely has a chance to be getting some calls this weekend, maybe in the in between meetings or in between practices. But Mel Tucker has had a really interesting career. He was an interim coach at Jacksonville in 2011. Not necessarily great, but then again, he's coaching a Jacksonville team in 2011 as an interim at 2-3. and three. He coached Colorado for a year and was 5-7 and seven with the Buffaloes. Fast forward two years later, he's got the team 7-0 and and nationally ranked for the first time in what feels like a long time because Michigan State football... Based off of like my memory, it's been a, it's been a hot minute because I remember like early on in the college football playoff era, they were like actually halfway decent. They were really good, but turn around and now you've got an opportunity where Michigan State looks to be like a lot better. They're already bold eligible because they started the season six and zero, but I think obviously they got bigger things on their mind. That said, the road is going to be a lot tougher is yes, you are number seven in the coaches' poll, number nine in the AP. But you've got the bulk of your schedule going forward is against extremely tough programs. Michigan, next Saturday, on Fox. Then you have Purdue, who just beat Iowa. Don't forget about that. Maryland. Maryland might be the only game left on that schedule where you're not the underdog. And that's not a knock. I think it's just factual. You have Ohio State. And you have Penn State. Those are the other the two teams you'll face, and those two, without a doubt, will be top ten teams. So Michigan State might just be an eight and fourteen, and I, I think there is absolutely an opportunity for him to get that spot. But I'm not necessarily necessarily sure that they go for it, because a lot like Jamie Chadwell, he has little coaching experiences. A lot of guys that have that flashy name. And Jamie Chowell has had a lot of experience as a coach. I mean, he's been damn near everywhere. Like, you go look at his history book, it's impressive. Like, you look at his resume, it's very good. He was a DBs coach back in 2000 at LSU under Nick Saban. He was at the Ohio State in the early 2000s as well, part of that national championship team in 03-04 season. Then he was an NFL coach as an assistant and became an interim head coach for a cup of coffee with the Jaguars was DC for the Chicago Bears and went back to Alabama to coach with Nick Saban in 2015. Went to Georgia for a couple years. So he has the pedigree of a Grizzled Young Vet. I think he absolutely is one of those guys. That's in there. That, that's in that conversation. And I feel like there's a few more that are in there, but those are my four that I really like and I feel like they have they have to talk to them first. Other guys, obviously, Luke Fickle. I think Fickle absolutely has a great opportunity, but I think he's going to go if if obviously Urban Meyer doesn't take it. I think the USC job is his. I think the USC job is absolutely his in my mind. But I'll throw a couple out there in terms of avoiding. And you need to avoid this like the plague or maybe, as I said earlier, socially distance yourself from these two names. And I'll say it right out of the gate. Lane Kiffin's a guy you should avoid like the plague, because if he's going to jump ship from Ole Miss after two years to go to LSU, who's to say that two years down the road, something else doesn't open up a notable job in two, three years time opens up that he's like, Hey, I want to take this opportunity. Let's say hypothetically the Alabama or Georgia job opens up. You don't think he's not going to take that? And go run, just go run where the money is. His agent is absolutely setting that up. So for me, I want to avoid Link Kevin because he's been a guy that always jumps around. He never stays at a place too long. Another guy I'll avoid, and this isn't a knock against the coach himself, Bill O'Brien. I don't want to see Bill O'Brien be a head coach of a program, especially college football wise. And it's because of what I saw with Houston after he took over as the coach GM role. When he took over that, that place went to H-E-W hockey sticks in a handbasket. I wish I could say something else, but I can't because it's radio. But that place went to hell in a handbasket in a hot minute once he took over as GM. You saw him make these absolutely ridiculous trades. I feel like he's good as a coach, but don't let him have all the chips maybe similar, at least somewhat, to Ed Ozron. Don't let him hold all the chips and control everything. Have him be able to do his thing in his own little world, and things will wind up being a little bit better. That's at least how I think about Bill O'Brien. There's a couple others. Obviously, Urban Meyer, if he gets fired from the Jaguars after the season, and he should be, in all honesty. I don't know if they're going to wind up moving forward from him fast enough. But that's a different conversation for a different day. But we're past due for a break, so we'll take a quick timeout. We got in about 10 minutes or so, good friend Scott Watkins. We're going to talk about the Sunbelt Conference reported expansion of the SBC and so much more with him a little after 10.30. But we're past due for a break. Coming up next, we're going to talk some high school football. Week 8 in the books And, boy, oh, boy, a lot of big takeaways I'll get to next right here on 103.7 The Game. You're listening to Under the Dome with CD right here on 103.7 The Game and 103.7thegame.com.
0: From the preps to the pros and everywhere in between. I gave it a
1: 10. A A 10.
0: Let's get back Under the Dome with the world-famous CD on Acadiana's Sports Station. 103.7 The Game. Welcome back
1: to Under the Dome with CD right here on Acadiana Sports Station, 103.7 The Game at 103.7thegame.com. Coming to you live for the first South Farm Credit Studios. Going to have Scott Watkins on in just a few. Got a little caught up in the opening segment there. And again, I just feel like there are four guys that are a little bit head and shoulders above the rest. Now, I mentioned earlier Luke Fickle. I feel like he's a really good candidate. He's probably in that ARV. If we were doing top five, I think he'd be number five in that list because I think he's got other options open for him. He's done a great job at Cincinnati. Don't get me wrong. I just feel like there's a better opportunity for him elsewhere. And I think he's absolutely eyeing that job like people do with the eye emojis nowadays on the Twitter. But enough about college football for a moment because you're the rejoin. We talk about the preps. We talk about the pros. It's time to kind of get an idea of what happened last night. Across the world of high school football. And boy, oh boy, it was a wild one. Week eight, two weeks left in the regular season now. We're getting that much closer to the playoffs. Time for everybody's favorite segment, the high school football scoreboard. It's going to be a tough fiscal ball game. And hey, we start off in. Class 5A, Acadiana High beats Sam Houston Thursday night, 71-14. Sulphur beats Barb, 35-23. Como snatches victory from the Jaws of defeat. 30-28 win over New Iberia. Southside looked dominant last night, and they've been looking really good in district play since losing to Acadiana High, winning over Lafayette high Lions, 35-16. Huge win for that program. Eunice beats Tioga, 28-7. Rain beats LaGrange, 61-26, absolutely thumping their opponent. North Vermillion beats Washington Marion, 52-21. Brother Martin beats Carrickrow, 35-7. We'll talk about that game a little bit later. St. Thomas Moore, they're back to their winning ways and at, are at 500 with a 51-14 win over Northside getting ready for the big ball game next Friday against Carrickrow. Then you have Bro Bridge shutting out Bo Shane. Westgate beats Turling's Catholic 36-22. Since district started, the Rebels have not been the same. It's, it's a weird look. I'll just go ahead and put it that way. Beauchene gets shut out by Brobridge 40 to nothing. Cecilia shuts out Opelousa's 23-0. Livonia beats Broadmoor 56-14. Church Point gets a COVID forfeit win against Ville Platt 2-0. I think that's the second time Ville Platt's kind of dealt with that kind of stuff. No, wait. I think it was Sacred Heart at Ville Platt. Anyways. Then we have Iota beats Pine Prairie 41, 28 Northwest beats Mamu 48, 22. Abbeville beats Rayville 54 to six. The Wildcats looking good this year. Only one blemish on the record. If I'm not mistaken yet, I believe they have just one blemish on the record. So good for them. Kaplan beats Crowley 33, 13 St. Martinville 59 era 29 Lafayette Christian Academy shuts out port Barry 55 to nothing. Welsh beats Lake Arthur, 49-7. Notre Dame shuts out Catholic High, New Iberia, 41-0. Ascension Episcopal beats Franklin, 41-16. Yeah, had Delcum. They took on Jenneret and Delcum came away with the win, 36-16. Last night, A lot of lopsided ballgames here. St. John beat Homer Christian, 41-7. Lorville beats West St. Mary, 34-12. Catholic High Point Compete. Beats Westminster Christian 44-14. Oppos is Catholic. They keep rolling, putting up 55 on North Central. Setting up a big ball game next week against Sacred Heart of Ville Platte, who put up 40 points in a 40-7 win over St. Ed. And, you know, speaking of that Sacred Heart team, Sacred Heart of Ville Platt has been on a tear lately through District the week before, 68-35 win over Westminster Christian. And going over to week six, it's more the same. You know, I was surprised to see this number pop up. Westminster 62 to 30 over North Central week six. So the last two weeks, they've been putting up numbers. The last two, three weeks, they've been putting in numbers. So this will be a high-scoring shootout next week in District 518. 8-1-A action. Vermilion Catholic beats Centerville 45-8. Central Catholic beats Covenant Christian 21-19. And Hanson Memorial beats Highland Baptist 49-7. And some overall takeaways. I'll go rapid fire here. Carecrow they had two losses last night. One, they lost to bro- Brother Martin in really bad fashion. But she also lost your quarterback, Chance Caesar, who got carted off during the contest. So there's – it's – just not a great look for them right now losing their quarterback and presumably they're doing scans today he could be out for the rest of the year whenever you get card off it's usually never a good sign so it's something to at least keep an eye on if you're a fan of the golden bears and also a fan of the st. Thomas more cougars because there's a big matchup in 548 and the cougars get back to 500 really good win for them I mentioned the shootout with Oplos Catholic and Sacred Heart next week. That's going to be fun. Southside, they are looking really good heading into the postseason. And we talk about all the time how important it is to not limp into the postseason. They're doing just that. They are winners of three straight, and they've not just won by the skin of their teeth. No, they've been able to handle opponents and beat them by pretty decent margins. That's a huge step in the right direction for a program that's looking to kind of like establish themselves in what's pretty much a tough division to play in in 5A. And 3-5A is one of the toughest districts in the state. I think reason why is it Katie and who just continues to run through that district like a buzzsaw. Meanwhile, I gotta bring this up out of state stuff real quick, cause Wachita High School, they beat West Monroe ending a hundred like West Monroe has been we talk about Katie and I being dominant in their district. There's no doubt in my mind that Acadian that West Monroe before last night was dominant as hell with their setup. Cause they had not lost a district game in a hundred games, a hundred game win streak. Todd Garvin and watchtower beat West Monroe. Absolutely impressive. The streak is over. And apparently, I was seeing this from good friend Lane Johnson, first time since 1994. I was five years old when that happened. I was five. The last time you saw Wachita beat West Monroe, absolutely mind-blowing. But we'll go ahead and take a quick timeout. We'll come back with Scott Watkins. He's joined the program. we got to get into conversation about the state of Sunbelt Conference football After this, right here on 103.7 The Game and 103.7thegame.com.
0: Who is the world-famous CD, really? Whatever you think, when you think sports radio, he's the exact opposite. Yes, I will do the opposite. Let's get back to Under the Dome with CD before he starts acting like Costanza. George is getting upset! On 103.7 The Game, Acadiana's Sports Station. Honestly, there's not much that can
1: really upset me right about now because, well, the Astros won. I'm on the air after being off for a week. And the Sun Belt, it looks to be expanding and adding some new members into the fold. And we're going to talk about that because it's definitely something we we discussed a while back with our good friend Scott Watkins, part of Sun Belt Pages. He's on the 103.7 Game Hotline right now. But it's something we talked about, and maybe he had a little bit more information than I did because I was blown away when I saw James Madison University being one of those teams that's getting that invite to join the Sun Belt. And he was the one, he came on about a month or so ago and mentioned that exact team is being one the Cajun the Sun Belt Conference was absolutely looking to get. And now we go to the 103.7 Game Hotline and talk with our guy, part of Sun Belt Pages, Scott Watkins. Scott, how you doing, man? doing good Claire how you doing I'm doing pretty darn good man it's definitely a great time to be a fan of the Sun Belt conference because now it looks like this thing is getting that much bigger with a lot of different teams joining in and this comes right after the AAC officially announced several of other teams in the conference USA jumping ship over there reportedly you're gonna have Southern Miss Old Dominion James Madison and Marshall all take accepting invites to the Sunbelt Conference.
2: Yeah, I haven't seen any news this morning, so I don't know what's what's up with the other three. So I, I all I know is that Southern Miss for sure is coming in, and I had that confirmed on my end last night. So that, that for sure is happening. And if, if Southern Miss is coming, no doubt that the other three are coming. It's just a, a matter of time, a matter of, of red tape. I know with James Madison, there's some – state legislature involved there for whatever reason, but that's just extra tape to cut through that will be cut through. But, um, yeah, four teams coming in and another another three leaving Conference USA. All
1: right, before we get to the future of the Sunbelt Conference with this, let's go to Conference USA with the, with the two programs, three programs, excuse me, Marshall, Old Dominion, and Southern Miss. Once they do just make that accepting of the invite, all that stuff goes down. What does this mean for the Conference USA? Because you wound up losing six more members earlier in the week with Charlotte, FAU, North Texas, Rice, UAB, and UTSA. Because it looks like they're in dire straits right now.
2: Yeah, so they've got five schools left, including Louisiana Tech. And it seems like what they're going to try to do is maybe do what the Sun Belt did years ago, but do it a lot faster because the, the conference is about out of teams they need at least one team by 2023 come in to continue to uh, compete as a conference or continue to get the auto bid to, you know, the, the, the big dance and all that stuff. They need one more team. So what, what they might do is they might go and get some football-only members and then bring up some FCS schools like McNeese State. Uh, they might go get uh, Sam Houston State. That would be the biggest ticket they could find, I think. Uh, and Liberty already said no. So they, they've got to act quick if they want to recover.
1: Oh, no, exactly. They got to add really quick because, and you know, you bring up the fact they're going towards teams like McNeese. I'm I'm surprised they haven't gone towards Nichols State as well because Nichols, I think, has a lot bigger of a base. Now, mind you, I think McNeese, it's going to help them a lot more in some of the other sports, not not as much the money gainers because I think football, it's going to be a process for them to kind of transition over. But I think in baseball, they'd be able to compete. Basketball, they'd be able to compete a little bit more. Same with Sam Houston State. But it, it was interesting to see those names more than anything. Basically, the le, the I hate to kind of say it this way, but the Land of Misfit Toys that is the Southland Conference after you see a lot of other teams jump ship over. Do you think they'll jump over or could they just go ahead and follow a lot of, a lot of the other teams that moved in the FCS ranks to the WAC and wait for the WAC to just basically move up into a G5 conference?
2: That was something that we were. I was talking about with uh, some friends yesterday. Uh, it, there's a lot of craziness that can go down. Whatever conference USA does, I think that other conferences are going to be reactionary. I don't think that the WAC or uh, the ASUN or the, the Southland, uh, all they can do is gather up the gather up the troops. You know, have a meeting, say, "Hey, this is why we want you to stay." Um, but other than that, they're going to have to be reactionary to what conference USA is going to do. Uh, I was surprised, just as surprised as you, to hear McNeese State and to hear Tarleton State, which is a school nobody had heard of before last year because they just jumped from D2 to D1. And now Conference USA is talking to them about moving to FBS. Uh, Yeah, I think everything's going to be reactionary. I think that um, it's going to throw a big old wrench into a lot of processes because, you know, the WAC, of course, it has a long-term plan. They're coming back to football and they want to be back to FBS at the end of the decade. Uh, the A-Sun is throwing together a football conference. So there's a lot of moving pieces that Conference USA can disrupt right now. And I think that those FCS conferences, all they can do is wait
1: and see. Talk right now with Scott Watkins, part of Sunbelt Pages. And obviously we'll flip it over to the Sunbelt now and see how things look. And just based off of what I'm thinking about when it comes to the future of what the fun Belt could look like, it looks like more likely than not, obviously, you're based in Alabama and you cover the Troy Trojans a lot over in Montgomery, Alabama. I think, honestly, that team's going to be jumping over to the West and make that like that much stronger of a conference based off of the geographic outlook.
2: Yes, Troy is going to go to the West Division once it's all set and done. That'll start in 2023. Uh, that will make the West Division uh, much stronger. I think the East is going to be ridiculous. Don't get me wrong. With Marshall in there and James Madison in the, in the mix as well, but the West is going to be a lot better with Troy and Southern Miss involved. Um, and that that'll be fun. I think travel-wise, it'll be a little bit tougher on Troy because you're not playing, you know, eight out of nine other opponents. You know, you're going to be playing everybody out west and maybe two schools out east, and then we're going to have the introduction of cross division rivals, which. I think Troy and South Alabama is the only cross division, protected cross division rival that the Sun Belt has right now. Everybody's going to get one in two years. I'm hoping that Troy gets Georgia State because that's a three hour trip. But um, that's, that's something that's going to happen. But as far as just how the division is going to look, the West, like you said, it's going to look
1: a lot better. It's going to look a lot better. I think it's just going to be so much more fun. You bring up the East, that thing's going to be stacked from top to bottom because you got App State who's never going to have a truly like down year in terms of, oh, hey, they're going to be like 500 or so in the conference. Coastal Carolina, Marshall, James Madison, like you mentioned, who's to say like Georgia State or Georgia Southern could have a really good year. That East is going to be very tough net to navigate. Now, the West, obviously, if Arkansas State can kind of build momentum with Butch Jones leading the way over there, and then also maybe Troy gets back to some form of normalcy in Southern Miss, Managed to get this, get that ball rolling. I think the Sun Belt Conference is in really good shape right now. And it seems like, based off of what the AAC did, and you can correct me if I'm wrong, they seem to be the new premier conference once all this kind of stuff shakes out.
2: It could be. It could be. Um, A lot of it depends on, you know, what the landscape as far as how these teams look in two years. Um, Of course, right now, I, the Sun Belt is great up top. The top tier is fantastic. The league is having a little bit of a rebuild here on the bottom level. I think there's five or six teams, I think actually six teams, that you could say are rebuilding at some phase. Um, that will change. I mean, there's going to be some teams in two years that are going to look good. Southern Miss under Will Hall might look pretty good, and that will help out, out west uh, Texas State. They might be making a change. They might be looking different in a couple of years. Troy might be looking different in a couple of years. I mean, it really all depends. The American, you got six Conference USA schools now over there that are just that have saturated that league, and they went after the markets again, uh, like Conference USA did a long time ago. Questionable, bold move, uh, but you know we'll see how it plays out. It, it did not play out well last time for Conference USA. Maybe for the American it'll work out this time. But who knows?
1: Exactly, who really knows? Talking right now with Scott Walk and Sun Belt Pages. And you know when you look at the way things are, and I, by the way, I got to say, thank you for reminding me about Will Hall, former Cajuns offensive coordinator, now the head coach at Southern Miss. It's crazy to think how the circle kind of goes in that perspective, but when you think about it, obviously, it feels like conference USA if they can't necessarily keep, like retain some of these names, and it feels like it's not going to be the case. Could you see this thing be split up? Whoever's left just kind of jumps is basically allowed to opt out of being part of Conference USA, and this thing like breaks apart, and we see the number of FBS conferences go from ten to nine, and we see what's left kind of spread apart amongst the AAC and the Sun Belt.
2: That's possible. I I don't think it's the most likely thing that's going to happen. I I don't think it's the most likely option. Uh, I've, hear, I've heard a little bit of talk about the MAC, you know, picking up a couple schools, if that were to happen. But I think Conference USA is very determined to go ahead and expand as quickly as possible. It may not look pretty early on, but I think that's what they're going to do. And I think they're going to try to hang tight. They're going to hang in there for a few years and try to get the ball rolling. It's exactly what happened. five oh, eight, eight, nine, nine, nine members. And had to rebuild from there pretty quickly, brought up a lot of FCS schools. Um, the difference is the last go around, there were several FCS schools that were, you know, storied, uh, storied powers, storied teams, app state, Georgia, southern, even coastal Carolina was successful in the big south. But this go around, there's not much left with James Madison going to, uh, the sun. The FCS powers, they're focused in the upper Midwest. That's where they are. They're all up in North Dakota and Montana and Iowa, that region. There's not much left for Conference USA to pick off. They're gonna have to look into the Southwest, and those programs aren't the strongest.
1: Scott, one more for you. Do you think there's gonna be more expansion down the road for the Sun Belt, or do they stick to the 12 teams like for the next 10 years?
2: Um, well, this will take them to 14. This will take them oh, to yeah, 14 sure. teams. And Yeah, and I think that'll be it. Uh, that that should be it. I've never been one to like a, a good 16-team super conference like the SEC is going to. I think that makes your, makes your bottom tier a little too deep. I think that sets up a different battle down the road. Um, so I don't think the Sun Belt is going to want to get too big. Of course, looking at Conference USA, that league got, got up to 14 and it killed them. So it's a little, it makes me a little nervous that the summer's going to get that big right now. So I definitely don't, I don't want to think they're going to go any bigger than that.
1: Scott, thank you so much for coming on, my man. We'll talk to you down the road. Enjoy the rest of your weekend, brother. Yes, sir. You too. All right. That was Scott Watkins' Sun Belt Pages. And we'll kind of reset that a little bit more because I I saw, I remember the quote, whenever all this news started to kind of circulate over the last few days. And I've got some thoughts about it so we're gonna go ahead and take a quick time out when we come back i've got five picks that you need to click for this weekend if you're out there betting i know, uh, you know there's a certain casino out in marksville that actually has sportsbook, a sportsbook book there and uh, i'm like the speed of the process guys you need to see this all throughout the state come on now we'll take a quick timeout. back with more you're listening to 1037thegame, 1037thegame.com, and yet this is Under the Dome with CD.
0: Under the Dome with CD is a show for all the degenerates out there. You make your rules, and we will break them. Let's get back to the famous CD. Yeah. Who will break it all down for us. Couple minutes left in this hour. Appreciate
1: everybody for listening in. We got another hour and a half left to go in this super-sized edition of Under the Dome. So before we get to the picks to click for this week, let's go ahead and look back to two weeks ago. Four and one, October 9th, last time I was on the airwaves, four and one with my picks. And since I decided to get a little bit cocky, I had five picks during this show's off week on Twitter. Twitter.com slash Under the Dome CD. You can check us out over there. Went 3-2 with my misses being pretty bad. A Texas win over Oklahoma State straight up didn't pan out all that well. I need to avoid some uh, straight-up picks. I'll just go ahead and say that. And Texans cover against the Colts, I'm done with you, Texans. Like You keep screwing me over on these covers because the spreads are too high for my liking. So to recap, my overall record this season, 19 of 35 on the season that's over 500 so we're getting there we're doing good things right now so let's try and get better and get a five in a weekend finally so let's start off i'll take purdue straight up over wisconsin three and a half point dogs their team that could either ride the momentum from last saturday's win over iowa or come down and fall hard against the badgers who have won two straight after their tough start to the season against notre dame michigan and penn state but i'll pin my hopes against the on the Boilermakers today Rice, one of the teams joining the AAC, facing a future AAC opponent. Rice covering. I got them covering against UAB plus 23-point dogs. I think that's just too easy. That spreads way too high not to take. Take the over. I don't say damn near hammer this one. LSU Ole Miss, the over-under, is 76-and-a-half. Both these two teams have had high-scoring games the last few weeks. LSU's last two games went over. Enters the over under. Ole Miss has only had one game this year where they didn't put up over 30 points. As Lane Kiffin says, get your popcorn ready. Going to the NFL, Bengals cover against Baltimore. Six and a half point dogs. That feels like easy money as well. Then you have one more game in the NFL to wrap it up. Chicago covers against Tampa Bay 11 and a half. It's just a little bit too high. Yes, the Bears are high garbage. They're taking on a Tampa Bay team that is clearly better. But I wouldn't be surprised that Chicago could cover a double-digit spread, at least in my mind, and that I would hope. But we'll go ahead and pin our hopes on that. And we're going to go ahead and take a quick timeout, wrap up hour number one. Hour two, next, Ross Jackson joins the program at 1130. Back after this on 1037 the game and 1037 game dot com.
0: This can be played at high volume. Live and local. Let's go down a light man. This is Acadiana's number one sports station. 1037 the game. Yeah. It's Saturday, and you know what that means. Finally, time for the world famous CD to step to the mic for two straight hours of no holds barred sports talk. It's better than Desperate Housewives. You You better get ready. Yeah! Yeah! Because Under the Dome with CD starts right now on 1037 The Game.
1: Welcome back. Hour two of two and a half sweet hours of sports talk is officially underway. And I'm absolutely loving being here with you on this beautiful, dare I say, you know, I'm going to say it. It's a glorious, glorious. Saturday morning. Stealing a foot is some there, if you will. And let me just say this. We are coming to you live from the first South Farm Credit Studios.
0: Here this worldwide.
1: And appreciate you listening in, however you're doing. So be it through that free 103.7 Game mobile app. Those smart speakers like Amazon Alexa, Google Home. I have both of them now. So I'm going to have to get used to not triggering my a Google smart speaker or my Amazon Alexa going to have to try and make sure not to do that. I think it's about to do that. Yep, there we go. I triggered it. Stop. Stop doing that. Stop listening to me, Alexa. Just saying. But you can also listen to us through that fantastic FM dial, the tower of power. That is 1037FM.
0: He is the tower of power. He is too sweet to be sour. He is the rap master. There is no other. There is no equal. The man...
1: And the man has an extra half hour, so we're gonna to get to a lot of stuff over the course of the next hour and a half. And it's amazing. Like I always say, we got a lot to cover, we got a lot to get to. And honestly, it feels like there's almost too much to get to. I mean, I've got college football about to start up behind me because I have the TV tuned to a particular channel to watch some ball games in between. And I got to remember to mute my laptop sometimes. Because I wound up having the autoplay on CBS Sports pop-up, because I want to see some of the games we got that are about to get started or are near starting. Cincinnati Navy, that's gotten kicked off. We also have Arkansas Woo Pig Sui taking on Arkansas Pine Bluff. A lot of other games. We'll probably reset those in our number two, or our number three, the extra bonus ball edition of Under the Dome with CD. But I want to reset about the Sunbelt Conference and the expansion that's going on. His reports are, you know, we talked about it earlier, Old Dominion, James Madison University, Southern Miss, Marshall, they're all going to be jumping ship. They're all going to be pretty much Southern Miss, Old Dominion, Marshall, and James Madison. Four teams are jumping ship as early as next week. Now it'll become official, I think, like 2023 or so. So a lot like ten years ago, when the conference added several programs, UT Arlington, uh, Arkansas Little Rock. Now those programs uh, reportedly, reportedly, are going away, and the not too distant future. Like those programs are going to be going back, I think, to the FCS. According to what I was seeing from a, I believe Matt Brown put this up on his Extra Point newsletter the other day. And I was blown away by that, and that's kind of what sparked the conversation about what the conference is going to do. And now they're going to go more with a football model and adding four more teams. They are currently at 10, adding four more. And that got me thinking about something. And it's about how much things go full circle in sports, how things are cyclical. And I thought about it. You know, Five years ago, Ed Oja was taking over the LCU program as an interim, and now he's finishing up his time as the CEO of the Tigers. Five years ago, during Sunbelt Media Days, he had an interview on an afternoon program that used to be on this fine station, and he said something that at the time I think was pretty polarizing for a lot of people. Mind you, it didn't help matters that Scott Farmer, the athletic director at the time for the Cajuns, was very much public enemy number one amongst Cajun Nation because of Teague Gate. Let's just go ahead and call it that. Teague Gate, Farmer Gate, call it what you want. And a big reason that's a big reason why he was so polarizing. And it was just not really being transparent about the progress of those renovations, largely kind of like persona non grata to a certain extent when it comes to that. If you remember back in twenty sixteen. But this happened during Sunbelt Media Day in 2016. And we had this interview. And I I was trying to find it in our archives. Ironically, somehow, some way, it's not in my archives. And because we migrated from SoundCloud after we got banned from it, that's a different story for a different day, I didn't have it. So, CD, ever the historian of 103.7 The Game, can remind you. In fact, I put up a column five years ago on 103.7thegame.com Quote tweeted. You can check it out on my Twitter at Clint Domingue. C l i n t d o m i n g u e. You can check it out over there. But the quote in particular was, "quote It's our position that we can meet all of our goals in the Sun Belt Conference." End quote. Let's break that down like a fraction, shall we? Let's look at where the conference was five years ago and where the Cajuns were five years ago. Let's let's go. Th- let's go there first. Let's go back in time. Let's let's turn the time machine. And look back at the Sun Belt. The newcomers were App State, Georgia Southern, Georgia State. And they were taking over, like, in a big way. Georgia State obviously has become such a big power in the Sun Belt Conference in basketball, thanks to Ron Hunter, and now they're, they've managed to parlay that into a lot of success. More power to them. Because that, that's a great thing for the conference to see them excel in multiple sports and see these guys making really big movements. I mean, Ron Hunter, in the first couple of years, everybody remembers seeing him sitting on the stool after tearing his Achilles and falling out of his chair after his son, RJ, hits a three-pointer at the gun during March Madness. That highlight, a lot like the slide for the Louisiana Raging Cajuns in the College World Series, that highlight is going to be running for years and years. And then you have Little Coastal Carolina. They waltzed in, flexing massive huevos with a nice piece of bling in a College World Series national championship. Not an FCS, but the real bleeping deal. And they even beat LSU in the process. So they waltzed into the SBC with brass balls. Like that's where they were at in this conversation. And this was looking a lot better than what it did after a mass exodus. You had programs that were doing pretty damn good in the Sun Belt Conference North Texas, Western Kentucky, Middle Tennessee. Then you had the Florida Twins of FAU and FIU all jumping over and jumping ship to Conference USA, bloating their membership in the process, possibly being a big reason why Conference USA sunk the way they did. Now let's look at Cajun's football because that's the other side of this coin of the Sun Belt Conference and the statement Farmer made. I'll say it again. It's our position that we can meet all of our goals in the Sunbelt Conference. Cajuns football had four straight years of going 8-4 and four and going to the New Orleans Bowl. Yes, 2015 they stumbled. and also had some NCAA sanctions that hit the program pretty hard. Cajuns baseball had been on a tear the last two seasons with a Super Regional host in 2014 and coming up just short in that series against, I believe, Ole Miss. And they had a Super Regional series against LSU after getting out of there, getting out of the Houston Regional after a walk-off hit by pitch, something I've never seen before. That game, that was wild. And then Cajun's basketball, they had gotten to the NCAA tournament in 2014. One of their own got drafted inside the top 10. Business was booming. Just, I mean, that was Cajun's men's basketball. Cajun's women's basketball was, like, up and down. Cajun's softball status quo. Dominant in their conference, consistently ranked highly. Now, We look at the conference five years later. As of right now, not after this weekend probably, you have a team ranked in the top 25 of Coastal Carolina. You had, heading into the season, preseason top 25, two teams ranked in top 25. That's never happened before. So you have three really good programs. You're top heavy. App State, Coastal, and the Cajuns. All on the football front are absolutely great. Now, reports are and seems to be more of a reality now. App State, Coastal, Cajuns are going to be joined by programs like Southern Miss, Old Dominion, James Madison. Mar- Marshall's going to be the most interesting one of the whole group in my mind. But you're not having to basically call up from AAA. You're getting guys who are already in the group of five conference to jump over to you. That's a huge win on, on this team's part. And it's a lot better than some of the guys they did get a few years ago in the midst of that expansion. talked about Georgia Southern, Georgia State, App State, and Coastal. I'm not bringing up the Idaho's, the New Mexico State's, the programs that kind of came and went with not much of a brouhaha. I mean, outside of Caden Ellis, I couldn't tell you another player that played for Idaho during that time. And the only reason why I'm saying Caden Ellis is because he's played for the Saints. He's played for the Saints at one point. So that's a name that's fresh in mind. We'll talk with Ross Jackson about the Saints around 1130, but that's a different conversation. So you have those three programs. The Samba Conference is in a really good place right now. I think they're going to be in an even better place going forward because you're adding a lot of guys. You're adding a lot of talent. And you're adding, more importantly, I think teams that are going to make not just your big moneymaker sport of football better, but I think you're going to be making the sport of baseball, softball, basketball. Those are going to be markedly better if these reports are true and we see this wind up happening, let's say, by 2025. Because you'll have a team like Southern Miss. That'll improve baseball alone. Softball, you're going to have James Madison. I could probably talk to Eric Lopez right now and get he'd give me everything I need to know about James Madison. That program is damn good. I think he would tell me that exact same thing. James Madison University could be a big thing for the Sun Belt in softball. There's probably a lot of other teams I'm missing that could be great. Old Dominion could be great for the basketball programs because it's going to be a lot more fun, and there's a chance where now that you have 14 teams in the conference, you don't have to worry about potentially. I can probably talk to a lot of people who know way more than me about this, Kendall Rogers, our guy we've had him on before, Joshua Parrott, about this. But I'm certain that that stigma of being a Sunbelt Conference team isn't there, that stink isn't there, relatively speaking, of course. It's all about how you're going to put this whole thing together. And the question I have is if you're a Sunbelt Conference How is this going to help you get multiple bids? Because it's one thing to have an auto bid in the NCAA tournament. That's one thing. But let's say you manage to get these guys. It's going to boost your RPI, boost your scores to where potentially you could have a multi-bid conference in the College World Series in the NCAA tournament and softball even. That would be a huge push in the right direction for the Sunbelt Conference that's always felt like there's been a glass ceiling. Fast forward to now, there's an opportunity there for the Sunbelt Conference to really be pushed as a premier conference, not just in money-making sports, but all major college athletic sports that we talk about on a daily basis here on this station and across the country. Now we get to the Cajuns. Cajuns football, they're even better shape than they were back then. After Those eight and four years, they're two straight ten and one seasons that look to be poised to do it again. It's all about if they can be consistent and play up instead of playing down to their opponent. They have really like crappy teams the rest of the way. You're playing Liberty who lost to ULM in the last second. If you can't beat Liberty, ugh, yikes. But you have a chance to be ten and one at worst, I'd say ten and two. And that's after a bowl game. And you're pretty much I think guaranteed a spot. In the Sun Belt Conference Championship game, as long as you don't screw up down the stretch against a team like a Texas State ULM, you've got the you have the thing in the bag, baby. But you think about it, you have one of the best runs in program history. Excuse me, not one of the best run in program history with Billy Napier. Whether or not he stays after the season, no matter who it's for, if it's that team across the basin or anybody else. That program is in phenomenal shape. And then fast forward, you have a Cajuns women's basketball team that's making tremendous strides. You have a Ty Du Say is the preseason Sunbelt Conference women's basketball player of the year. Preseason. I can't think of another player that's reached that height in women's basketball for the Cajuns. It's probably been a while. I'm not I'm not, not throwing pre towards people like Great Kimpero. Uh, all those Players, but I think just in the recent history, I haven't seen those players be in that spot. They made some tremendous strides last year. Were one game shy of making the women's NCAA tournament. That's a massive step up from what I've seen the last few years from that program. Gary Broadhead got to give him credit. He's been able to like turn it around, and he's looked good, leading the way. Men's basketball, great players on the roster. They've been working that transfer portal a lot. Health is going to play a key role in continuing to build up off of this. Because there's been moments where this Cajun's team looks to be like on the way up, but then injuries happen and you kind of stumble out the gates. You have softball. They, they've been doing the same thing they've been doing before, handling business and taking down opponents and holding dominion over the rest of the sundown. Now, James Madison could have something to say about it, but then it's going to make the conference better that's going to make your in-conference RPI probably stand out a little bit more and make it a little bit more feasible to where you could potentially, wait for it, host a regional. That hasn't happened in a while under Glasgow. Now, that's not a knock against Glasgow, but it's been a hot minute since the Cages have had to host a Women's College World Series regional. Let's see if they can get that down the road. Baseball, they're building momentum with Matt Dags leading the way. Tell me, there's not a level of excitement when you think about that team, when you think about that program, and Cajuns. You know, five years ago, when we heard Scott Farmer say the words, and I'm going to say it one more time: "quote It's our position that we can meet all of our goals in the Sun Belt Conference." That's a huge win for Scott Farmer, a guy that definitely kind of put his foot in mouth probably a little a few too many times while being the AD, especially towards the tail end of that. But maybe he was actually right five years ago because now you have one of the best football programs you've ever had, a basketball program that's on the up and up, softball's still softball, baseball's moving up, starting to make waves. And then you also have the news they're basically – you have major companies paying millions of dollars over the course of several years to have naming rights for your stadium, to see brand new renovations, to make your football stadium, one of the best in the conference to draw more butts in seats. It looks like things are right. And it's not like conference USA where they made those massive moves and, you know, changing things and courting teams like McNeese conference USA can be very well going the way of the dodo bird before long the AAC is quickly becoming conference USA because they chased they chased quantity not quality because they wouldn't I think the Cajuns should have been considered as a team to jump to the AAC after the whole big 12 stuff happened I think I said it on the show I just don't understand why that wasn't part of the conversation, why they didn't get that invite. But, you know, it, it is what it is. I'm not going to be mad at all. We're going to go ahead and take a quick timeout. You're listening to Under the Dome with CD. And, of course, we got to talk about the Houston Astros. We'll get to that next. They're in the World Series, baby. Let's we'll talk about that next right here on 103.7 The Game. Ross Jackson joins the program in about 10 or 12 minutes.
0: After all your problems during the week, It's finally the weekend. Woo! Yeah, baby! That's what I've been waiting for. That's what it's all about. That means you're getting more Under the Dome with CD right now on 103.7 The Game, Acadiana's Sports Station.
1: and that's Wallop pretty deep to right center. Racing back is Renfro. Still going back on the warning track. Hernandez back as well. And Hernandez drops it. He dropped it on the warning track. Scoring is Bregman. Alvarez in the second. nothing Astros. It looked like Kike Hernandez got there and was unable to secure it. You love to hear it. You're Don Alvarez helping the Astros get back to the World Series for the third time in five years you be hearing a lot of that action throughout the World Series right here on 103.7 The Game. Hopefully, it's a little more than a four-game series like the first time they got to the show. Hopefully, it's not like 2019 where it was a seven-game series. The most unusual of series where the home team never won a game. That was, that was a wild time, Game 7. That was, that was, that was nuts. But... I'm just gonna go ahead and talk about the Astros for a few minutes. We'll get Ross Jackson on in about like eight or nine minutes. But my God, seeing the Astros get to this point was so much fun. It was a roller coaster ride of emotions. Going back to last Saturday, I didn't have a show. But I was absolutely just like wanting to see every minute of that Astros game. Thank God, you know. LSU had an 11 o'clock game. Cages weren't playing, so I was able to enjoy all of it. And it was just bullpen city, and they were getting dinged up a lot. A lot of grand slams. Things just weren't setting up great for the Houston Astros. But I'll be damned. They turned it around. Like, I half thought during game four that the Astros were going to lose this game, this series in five because you had the same kind of thing happen. The bullpen just was falling apart weren't able to get things done and then you get to game four ninth inning that rally I don't think I've ever seen anything like that happen a seven run rally with two outs that's magic that's a rally possum-esque thing that's some rally possum-ish that there was no possum to be found out in Fenway I can't think of a time I've seen such a collapse in the MLB Falcons, y'all have the distinct honor of having the biggest collapse I've ever seen. I'll never let that go. You can't make me. But that stomped out any momentum the Red Sox had going into that fateful night. And I was like, okay, things are good. We, we turned things around in a big way. Then you fast forward to the next afternoon. It was clear where this rest of this series is going to go. It was all too clear. Frambois Valdez had the best performance from the pitching staff of the ALCS in Game 5, the best, playing in a hostile environment in Fenway. This was insane, and you got to remember, go back to the beginning of the year, back in spring training. He got injured and looked to be a guy that was just going to be set up. He was going to be gone. He was going to be done for the year. But little did we know that he has that X-Men Wolverine blood and is able to regenerate and be back to normal and ready to go during Memorial Day weekend. And had a overall solid season. Wasn't Cy Young worthy, but definitely well worth it. He came up huge. Eight innings. Eight innings. After all you've done with that bullpen, this was a massive W and a massive coup. A feather in the cap, if you will, for Framber Valdez, a guy who I felt like, if not for Jordan Alvarez's phenomenal performance all throughout, and I said this as much to Blaine, our color commentator for character Football on Z One Hundred prior to Game Six. We talked off air about it, and I said Framber Valdez probably MVP, but no. Yordan Alvarez had to go and go Wendy style four for four, and helping the Astros clinch Game Six five at nothing. And last night was nerve wracking because you held on to that one zero lead forever, two or nothing lead, because you know the Boston Red Sox have the ability to hit and be able to get some things done. Kyle Tucker hitting that three-run blast in the ninth, and this is a guy I thought heading into the season would have done well in a cleanup role and didn't necessarily do all that well. He put the exclamation point on that win and punched that ticket to the World Series with fervor. I mentioned it earlier about Jordan, and I was catching the clip last night before we went to bed because I was still writing down ideas and thoughts for the show. Especially since the Astros are going to the World Series. I didn't know how, how I was going to tie in the Astros heading into today, heading into yesterday. Saturday morning, early Saturday, late Friday night. I figured it out. And Dusty Baker talked about Jordan Alvarez on the LB Network. And this speaks to probably why he's the best part of this team's run. Because you got to remember, he suffered injuries before the season, and then he had COVID. You got to love seeing these young man get his well-deserved respect. And you'll hear Dusty Baker call him grande. I'm going to go ahead and play the club without saying all that he says.
3: During the season, you know, I talked to our batting coach, uh, uh, Alex Cintron, about, you know, about why he was taking so many pitches. You know what I mean? Yeah. Because when he swings, when he swings, I mean, this guy has only scratched the surface on what he can do. And uh, you know, uh, you know, they're gonna try to get ahead of him early in the count, and, and and that's what they were doing for a period of time there, probably in August and early September. But I mean, this guy, you know, he doesn't bail. He doesn't bail on lefties. Uh, what he swings at usually, he puts in play. And uh, I'm telling you, I mean, this this was an awesome performance, I mean, by Alvarez, and what impressed me more than anything. Is that he can run? This big joker can run, man. You know, like he, when he beat out that triple, now you bring the infield in, and now a lot of things can happen versus you only on second base. So, number one, he's healthy. He worked his butt off because he had two knee operations last winter, and uh, I, I mean, I'm so proud of him. You know, like I call him grande,
1: and he was muy grande, and he was critical in that. But speaking of Dusty Baker you got to love seeing Dusty Baker in this position. He was the guy that ha- was hired just to weather the storm in the aftermath of the cheating scandal that saw A.J. Hinch and Jeff Lonell as the head coach and GM respectively. He was the guy that was going to be able to handle the aftermath. And trust me, it was a bleep storm and then some. Fast forward two years later, the team has an opportunity to win four more games, and stick it a lot to the Baseball Purists and show they didn't need to cheat to win and win a title in the cleanest way possible and give Dusty Baker a World Series ring as a manager. He was an assistant coach last year, uh, excuse me, in 2019 during the Nats run, if I'm not mistaken. He was, but he's never won a World Series as a head coach. He was part of the Nationals and then he left in 2018, so he never got a ring there. He has not won a World Series ring. He got to the World Series in 2002, lost to the Anaheim Angels. Don't forget that, during the peak Barry Bonds years. But he's missing that one thing. He's got a Hall of Fame resume. There's no doubt about it. But Dusty Baker, I think he deserves to have this. So i gotta got to give a little bit of a standing ovation to the Astros. And more importantly, give a standing ovation to Dusty Baker. So take a lap. Go enjoy yourself. I'm going to enjoy seeing this team. Four more wins. Four more wins. I'm wearing the World Series championship shirt from 2017. Hopefully, I can add another one to the collection. All right, it's under the dome with CD right here on 103.7 The Game. When we come back, we'll talk some sports with Ross Jackson, Locked on Saints podcast. But looks like we got somebody on the hotline. Let's go ahead and get to that real quick, and then we'll take a quick timeout, get Ross Jackson aboard. Hello, you're under the dome.
2: Yeah, I hear you talking about Dusty Baker, and you're right. I would love to see him uh, pick up that um, that World Series uh, title. Uh, think about the storylines. Um, if he, if he play against the Dodgers, uh, I'm sorry, if the Astros face the Dodgers, you know, he uh, played with the Dodgers, right? Yep. Tommy Lasorda. Uh, that whole situation. Also, uh, uh, the time of the start, this year or last year. I can't, everything is running was last year. But anyway, uh, then if he, if he faced the Braves, if the actual faced the Braves, Dusty Baker was in the on-deck circle yep. when Hank Aaron hit the yep. uh, home run. Uh, so, you know, Hank Aaron lost his life, uh, lost his life this year. So, uh, the storyline should be uh, interesting to see what takes place. And uh, that's all I have to add. You're right, though, man. He needs to win that uh, World Series title getting the Hall of Fame, because I don't think he's a Hall of Fame manager without one. And uh, you have a good one tonight.
1: Thank you. I appreciate I appreciate the call, man. And by the way, Thomas sort of did die. It was very early last year. It was like January 2021 when he passed away. So, but it's really wild to think about. He Early on in his career, he was playing for the Atlanta Braves. He played for the Dodgers right after that. So, either way, but there's so many different storylines just in general with this. And honestly, I've gotten a conversation with people. And let me know like, if you think that the Astros – if you want to see the Astros play the Braves to rekindle maybe that NL rivalry, because I always just hated the Braves. And it means because of the fact that I was much more of a fan of the underdog and always wanted to see the Astros do big things. That was my first sporting event as a kid that I can remember. I can remember going to the Astros at the Astrodome. I think that that's a moment I'll never forget. Then you have, obviously – the Atlanta Braves, who I think if uh, Braves fans are probably for the most part, unless you're from the Georgia area or you have some Georgia ties, you are brainwashed by Ted Turner. I'll go ahead and leave it at that. Take a quick timeout and I'll wait for the pitchforks outside the first South Farm Credit Studios. We'll take a quick time. I'll be back after this on one oh three seven of the game.
0: Most sports talk radio shows go up to 10 on the amp. But under the dome with CD goes one higher. Why don't you
4: just make 10 louder and make 10 be the top number and make that a little louder?
0: These cards are 11. Now back to the show that brings the heat. On Acadiana's Sports Station. 103.7 The Game.
1: Welcome back to Under the Dome with CD right here on 1037 the Game and 103.7thegame.com. And we're coming to you live from the first South Farm Credit Studios as always. And we're going to go back out to the 1037 the Game hotline. Bring on our good friend, Ross Jackson, the newly married Ross Jackson. Ross, I think you planned this absolutely perfectly. I'm sure you, like the second y'all were trying to map out the date, you made sure to pick a date. That was during the Saints' bye week.
4: <laughs> well, it's funny. I, I have to give my, uh, my wife, Megan, all the credit there. Because originally the, the wedding was planned for uh, July of 2020, and obviously that didn't happen. Yeah. And so, uh, you know, with us rescheduling and everything, she looked at me one day and she said, how about October 18th, which is a Monday, because we have a lot of, you know, theater people in our yeah. circle. Monday is the day off for theater people. And so uh, we looked at it, and it happened to be the Saints' bye week, and I said that would be really helpful so it's really it's really all her. Uh, she's the one that made it
1: happen. <laughs> oh no, I mean I mean the wife always made behind every strong man there's a strong woman behind running things, no making doubt. sure getting it done. So she she had the right idea in all this. Because it's one thing to <laughs> like it's one thing to get married during football season. It's another to pick it perfectly. Like let's say right. like this time next week here in Louisiana, I'm almost certain there's gonna be like half a dozen weddings going on. During that bye week between the LSU Ole Miss and the LSU Alabama game, because nobody is gonna want to go to a game during LSU Alabama week, they're gonna they they plan these out perfectly. So I think y'all managed to pull it off absolutely perfect.
4: Yeah, yeah, no, I think we we got it right, and uh, I think you know she she knows the deal, she knows what's up, and she's uh, always been very supportive of the vision. So I, I'm always very grateful and appreciative of it. So,
1: so has she been supportive about the new toaster? Uh,
4: well, you know, when I finally got the punchline in there, she was no longer supportive. She was supportive <laughs> all the way through. <laughs> she
0: was supportive all the way through. Like the until whole the time. I like,
4: landed. Uh, you know, but, you know, that's the idea, right? You build up a joke for four days and then you, you deliver something that is very underwhelming. That's the idea.
1: Hopefully the Saints aren't <laughs> underwhelming coming out of the bye week. And speaking of that, like, it seems like things are starting to move in the right direction. Obviously, you're dealing with a lot of these injuries. Guys are back on IR finally. You see Malcolm Roach. He practiced yesterday. He was full practice after not practicing on Thursday due to illness. You're seeing a lot of guys Mm -hmm. get back into limited. Teron Armstead, Aaron McCoy were limited practice. Like, this is a huge step in the right direction for this team. The bye week seemed to be good. Everything's starting to move in the right direction. And then you're playing a Seattle team. We talked about it a couple weeks ago. You're without Russell Wilson after Aaron Donald just collected his finger for the infinity gauntlet. Now you look at the Saints, things are, po- things are setting up nicely after what felt like an up-and-down start to the season.
4: Yeah, look, I mean, it's, 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 uh, we can finally look at maybe the tide starting to turn a little bit in the favor of the Saints. And we sort of expected this coming out of the bye week, right, that over the next couple of weeks following the bye, they would start getting major pieces back. Now, they're not going to get everybody back for Monday's game against Seattle, but ideally they're able to at least get healthier maybe on the offensive line even the defensive line, get them a week together before returning David on who comes back with suspension after serving a six-game suspension as opposed to missing six weeks, which you know, there has been a little confusion around that, but he's got one more game to miss as well. So it, it, this is a good opportunity for New Orleans who, as you mentioned, is about to take on this team that's weakened without their starting quarterback and then also has a, not, the, not the Seattle defense that we're used to, in Seattle right now. We're talking thirty second ranked defense, thirtieth ranked defense in, in you know in whatever metric you're looking at. I mean, this is not a great defense in, in Seattle and the Saints are a team that have been trying to find ways to expand their passing game as well as make sure that they're still leaning into their run game. They're you know, just outside of the top five in terms of running attempts in the NFL, but they're bottom of the league, thirty second in the NFL in passing attempts and They've you know, leaned a little bit more into their passing game over the last couple of games, which have been against weaker defenses. They have a third one here Monday night against
1: Seattle. Oh, no, and it's absolutely amazing just to see how quickly things are setting up nicely. And you bring up the, the Saints. I mean, they have just – like last week was that game where they absolutely had to have it. The two weeks ago against the Washington mm-hmm. football team – and for a split second, I almost called him by their former name, but I was like, okay, let me, let me correct myself before I say it. Yeah, no. <laughs> it was like, like what they did, I mean, after Taysom Hill got hurt, it looked like the team kind of was like, all right, let's go back to what worked and let's go back to using Alva Kamara a lot more. And I think that really helped out a lot in terms of just getting things in that right direction, especially in the offensive side of the football, because to start, it didn't look all that great.
4: Yeah, absolutely. Yeah, I think that, you know, you start off a game with two turnovers and you know, in a lot of in a lot of cases, that can really, I mean, that can stifle a team, and that could be, you know, that could kind of end a team's game before it begins. And you open up this, you know, matchup with two turnovers against Washington Football Team, and then you're able to turn it around and have this great, you know, uh, this great 11 point win by the end of it. That was probably a little bit more of a win than what the scoreboard suggests, especially because you take into account their red zone defense, which has been a humongous story this season, by the way. conversion rate for opposing teams in the red zone in terms of scoring touchdowns. Meanwhile, the Saints are first in the league right now at over 90% uh, converting theirs. 13 out of 14 trips to the red zone have ended in touchdowns for New Orleans, and that's been a big part of why they've been able to win, and they've been able to either keep in games or turn the tide of games the way that you saw against the Washington football team, where things started off a little bit sloppy, but then once they were able to kind of get back in rhythm, they were able to get the ball, move the ball down the field. Even without Chasem Hill, who has been their go-to player in the red zone, they were still able to convert and score some touchdowns there. And you saw the big, you know, <laughs> throw and catch to uh, Alvin Kamara. And apparently, James Winston was very excited about before he called the play, and he ran into the huddle very stoked about it. And so, you know, I think you're seeing that sort of usage for Alvin Kamara tick up uh, in the passing game. You're seeing things sort of correct themselves as players become more available for this team and as Jameis Winston gets more sort of settled into this offense and this defense just continues to play extremely well. And that's a winning formula. If you can run the ball, if you can make smart decisions with the football in the passing game, even if you don't have the big splash plays, if you're just making good decisions, you have a good run game and you have a stifling defense, that's a formula to win, especially on the road.
1: Talking now, Ross Jackson, Locked on Saints podcast, Canal Street Chronicles. And one of the things I noticed from yesterday's injury report was the fact that I think Pro Bowl punter Blake Gillikin he was out with an illness. Is that anything to be concerned about or is this something that maybe can resolve itself for the next couple of days?
4: Hopefully it's something that can resolve itself the next couple of days. I mean, you know, ideally he's back today and, you know, full participant in practice or maybe even limited or, or whatever it might be. It just depends on the nature of the illness, which, of course, we don't have any real, you know, full-on details about. We can speculate that it's not—I mean, I, I think we know for sure at this point that it's not COVID-related, considering that he wasn't moved to the, the COVID reserve list, yeah. so that's good news. And then, you know, I, I think that when it comes down to it, you know, if Blake Gilligan has to play on one day of practice— I have a feeling he'll be okay, <laughs> you know. Um, especially if it's not an injury-related thing that's keeping him out. So even if he ends up missing today, I wouldn't be surprised if he still plays, especially with the game not being until Monday. So you know, you just kind of have a little bit of extra time here. So I- ideally, it's something that resolves itself quickly. But I wouldn't wouldn't even really rule him out if he missed today's practice. I I could see him popping up, maybe questionable at worst. Um, but we'll see, we'll see. I mean, it depends on the, the nature of the illness, of course.
1: And, you know, obviously one of the other big injuries we've been talking about all season long is the Michael Thomas injury. He's not going to be ready to go on for Monday Night Football against the Seattle Seahawks, based off of what I'm seeing. So when do you think the timetable is for him to return? Is it going to be next week's contest or is it going to be closer to early November?
4: Yeah, I mean, it feels like it might be closer to early November. I mean, you know, I think that the idea that he was just going to walk off the physically unable to perform list immediately and be able to play in the very next game uh, might have been a little optimistic in the first place. So I think getting, which many of us kind of fell subject to, but I think that, you know, if he needs a little bit of extra time considering he hasn't practiced since January, and the last time he did practice, he practiced injured, right? He was still dealing with that ankle injury at the time during the playoffs. I think that it's possible that you could see him maybe come off of the PUP list as early as Tuesday following the Monday night game against the Seahawks. But then, you know, he's got a 21 day practice window effectively that he can practice without being added back to the active roster. So I wouldn't be surprised to see them take advantage of that a bit. It kind of works similarly to the, the IR rules there and then, you know, give him an opportunity to practice over the next couple of weeks and then get him back onto the active roster around the beginning of November. That's sort of my cautious expectation. Is it possible that he could come back, practice for a week, and then be out there on the field for the Halloween game against uh, against the Tampa Bay Buccaneers? Well, I mean, trick-or-treat, I guess. You can see something like that happening. But, you know, when it comes down to it, I think, you know, into November seems to make the most sense in terms of a cautious timeline
1: i got one more for you, Austin. It's more about the game on Monday Night Football. You'll hear that right here on 103.7 The Game, thanks to Westwood One's coverage of the National Football League. But what do you what can you say about this ball game, and what are the keys to victory for the Saints to kind of get back and head, come out of the bye week with a big win?
4: Well, you'd certainly love to see the Saints' pass rush get up there and uh, you know be a little bit more present in the sort of sack production portion of the game, which we haven't seen so far the Saints. At the bottom of the NFL right now, both in sacks as well as pass rush win rate as well, which is a metric that measures whether or not the players are simply winning their pass rush snaps against offensive linemen. So I think that would be a big part of it. Cam Jordan would be a big part of that recipe, especially with Peyton Turner popping up on the injury report yesterday with a calf injury. Um, you look, A lot of folks are concerned about Cam Jordan, and they're mentioning that you know he's not good anymore, but this guy is top five in the NFL in hits, and he's top 20 in the NFL in pressures so far, and that's including missing a game. So he's getting there. He's just not getting there for the sacks yet. And I think that some of that has to do with the lack of interior pressure. So you'd love to see that sort of solve itself once David Onyemata returns in the next couple of weeks. But I think pass rush is a big key, and I think turnovers is a big key. The Saints right now are nine, or excuse me, 14-3 and three in away games where they can force two or more turnovers since 2017. And they actually have the longest NFL streak right now in terms of forcing uh, games, forcing turnovers on the road with 24 games in a row. So if they can you know, continue to force turnovers, which they've done extremely well so far this season, they're top five in, in turnovers generated. They're number two in the NFL in interceptions so far, and they're top five right now in terms of turnover percentage force, which is 17.9% so far. They've been remarkable in that area of the game. If they can do that then they, and even just force one takeaway, then they drastically increase their opportunity to be able to get another win in Seattle on the road.
1: Ross, thank you so much for coming on, my man. We'll talk to you next week. Enjoy the rest of your weekend, man.
4: Hey, appreciate it. Right back at you, buddy. Stay safe. I'll talk to you soon.
1: All right, Ross, Jackson, Locked on Saints podcast, Canal Street Chronicles. Absolutely love having that guy on. And we're going to go ahead and take a quick timeout. I got one final take for the regular two-hour show. Extra half hour. We're going to get into more of what's going on across the country, and then we'll get to some LSU football talk. In terms of what's going on on the gridiron. Considered from 12 to 12.30 to be the pregame show for the pregame show. Back after this on 103.7 The Game and 103.7thegame.com.
0: Just before we close up shop here on 103.7 The Game, the famous CD is looking to fire off one more take before dropping the mic. Is it going to be a hot one? Or is it going to be one he'd like to take back six months down the road? Let's listen in and find out. My one final take, it is absolutely
1: about the Raging Cajuns. I think the Cajuns are hosting Sunbelt title game. After what I saw on Thursday night from the Cajuns, they handle their business against Arkansas State. Now, yes, it was not necessarily the best game in the world, but I think now you're going to make that step towards a Sunbelt title game hosting, especially after what we saw on Wednesday night with App State losing to Coastal Carolina. There's something to be said. So I'm looking forward to seeing how the rest of the season plays out. But if I were to put money on it, And I probably could if I went out to a certain casino, not too far, uh, about probably an hour or so away from the first South Farm Credit Studios. I can do just that. But it's going to be a fun one nonetheless. Maybe the Cajuns can finally punch their ticket and win the 10 pounds of silver that is the Sunbelt Conference Championship. But I'm about to get out of here and be back for another half hour. Back in for this on 103.7 The Game and 103.7thegame.com.